appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 15. As you do, just a, a few quick announcements. Uh, tomorrow night at 6.30 is our uh, church Christmas decorating party. If you can be here, please do so and help us out with that. Uh, again, we'll start at 6.30. Whenever you can get here, that would be great. Right after the service tonight, to get ready for that, uh, we need some help getting all of the decorations down from above the girls' side of the baptistry. If you can help us with that, we need to tear the auditorium down. Is that correct, Brother Tim? Uh, so if you can help with that, the teens are going to be coming down to help. We also need to get the scaffolding up from the boiler room down in the basement. So uh, just an awful lot to get done. So uh, all of you fellas, you're going to be here till midnight tonight. But if you can help us with that, again, the teenage fellas will be down. Uh, we'd appreciate that. And again, tomorrow night, the, uh, I saw Christmas cookies being brought in tonight, and we'll have the music playing. And uh, so that'll uh, be a blessing if you're able to do that for us. Uh, there are new Sunday school lessons. Uh, it's part of our Christmas series. They are in the office on the counter. So teachers, make sure you stop by and pick those up. Uh, we'll be going out soul winning at 3.30 on Friday afternoon this week and 10 o'clock Saturday morning. Uh, join us for one or both of those times if you're able to. Uh, even if you're working or whatever, please uh, keep tracks handy with you. Uh, I, I keep them in inside uh, my, my car door on the driver's side so that if I go through a drive-thru or whatever, I've always got one uh, right there that I can give out. Uh, you never know what God's going to do with the gospel track. Let's be busy. Uh, it is the Christmas season. This is one of the easiest times of the year to invite people to come to church. Uh, and uh, there are just some people in their minds, it just says it's Christmas, you ought to go to church. And uh, so let's take advantage of that and uh, be inviting as many people as possible uh, to be a part of it. And I think that's all the announcements that I need to make right at this time. It's been a few weeks since we've uh, been in our study of the book of Acts. Uh, last week, of course, the Thanksgiving service. I think the week before that, I had just gotten out of the hospital. And uh, so one of the other fellows was speaking that night. Uh, we've had a bunch of missionaries come through. So we're... Uh, we're trying to remember what the book of Acts is all about by this point in time. We've been gone from it for a while. It is the, the book of Acts is the, uh, if you will, the history of the early church. Um, and we're going to review just a few minutes of that because it's going to tie in with the events taking place in chapter 15. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit indwelt the believers uh, in that upper room for the first time, and they went out proclaiming the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there were 3,000 people saved, baptized, and added to the church on just that one day. The Lord says, and the Lord, or the Bible says, and the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. So this is a rapidly growing church. Uh, just to remind you, refresh your memory, almost all of those people that got saved that formed the very first church in the history of the world were Jewish people. Those who were not born and nationally Jewish people, the Bible in Acts 2 refers to them as proselytes. That is a Gentile who converted to Judaism on the day of Pentecost. They're hearing the gospel and they're getting saved, but they were not being called Christians or Baptists or anything like that. They were actually still being called Jews. Um, and uh, today we would probably refer to them as a Messianic Jew. Uh, that is someone of a Jewish background who is, who is now believed that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. 
In Acts chapters 3 and 4, another 5,000 men got saved. They were, uh, we can pretty much, I think, safely assume that they were all Jewish men because they were in the temple at the hour of prayer when Peter and John preached to them. Um, so again, the, the first church was almost entirely composed of Jewish people. The Gentiles that were in that church uh, were more than likely all proselytes, con converts to Judaism who then got saved. Okay, how many are fine with that? Okay. Then the persecution around the death of Stephen occurred, Acts chapter 8. The church got scattered uh, throughout uh, Samaria um, and, and uh, all Judea and so forth. And the Bible says they went everywhere preaching the word. In Acts 8, Philip went north to the city of Samaria, the capital of that region. Uh, the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile uh, by their, their background, their nationality. Uh, they had a language that was sort of a combination uh, of, of the Jewish language plus Gentile, and they had a religion that was, uh, again, a combination of things. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans. Uh, they, they saw them as second-class citizens. Uh, the Samaritans didn't like the Jewish people any better, but Philip went there, and uh, the city turned to Christ in, a, in an amazing thing. They got baptized. Almost everybody in that city got saved, which was a phenomenal thing. Uh, Peter went up to Samaria when they heard about it, and he met with them. And as Peter did so, the Holy Ghost fell on them. The Bible doesn't say what the sign was, how they knew that. More than likely, uh, they were given the gift of tongues. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Uh, they were speaking in tongues, not babbling and, and, and all that stuff. The Bible says they were, they were, every man was hearing in his own tongue their own language in which they were born. Um, so that is more than likely the sign gift that happened in Acts chapter 8. Um, and, and the Samaritans have now been saved. Okay? Then we saw Acts chapter 10. Uh, the Lord directed Peter to go to a place called Joppa. And there he met a Roman centurion, his entire household, and uh, uh, Cornelius got saved. And this is not Jew, not Gentile. This is com or Jew or Samaritan. This is entirely Gentile. Um, and when Cornelius and his household got saved, the Holy Spirit descended on them. They also spoke in tongues. Okay. The tongues was a sign gift, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, for the Jewish people to confirm that the message of the gospel was truth, uh, that it wasn't just made-up tales. Uh, Peter referred to saying, we're not speaking to you in fables, uh, that type of thing. And so the, the speaking in tongues was that sign gift that confirmed it. Everybody with me so far? So in Jerusalem, it was a Jewish church. Then the Samaritans, that was a, a, a new thing, but the Holy Spirit signified, yeah, the Gospels for the Samaritans as well. In Joppa, uh, then it was Gentiles that got saved. And then we read in Acts 11 uh, that those people spread a little further all the way up into the region of modern-day Lebanon to a city called Antioch. Now remember, uh, they're not giving a name to these people who are now followers of Christ. Uh, they are in, in the Jewish mind, they are, we are Jewish people. In the Jewish mind, the Samaritans and the Gentiles who were getting saved, the Holy Spirit's confirmed 
that the, the gospel was for them uh, and so forth. In the Jewish mind, they are still seeing that the Samaritans, the Gentiles in Joppa, now the Gentiles in Antioch are simply becoming Jews, if you will, Messianic Jews, because that's, that's what they're, they're thinking you know, about all of this. But in Antioch, uh, there was a new name given to these people. It's the world's first completely Gentile church. Um, and uh, they were first called Christians there in Antioch. So suddenly there's a, there's a new name. Um, we're, we're doing this part of the history because uh, in the, the mind of all of these Jewish converts, they have a conflict that they're trying to reconcile. They're trying to understand how this works because before it's the Jews are God's chosen people. Now they're finding out that the gospel includes Gentiles as well. Well, Paul and Barnabas, uh, we studied from Acts 11 through Acts 14, began their first missionary journey, probably took them two to three years of traveling uh, up into the region of, of called Asia, modern-day Turkey. They're establishing churches all the way. Almost everywhere they went, they went into the synagogue first. Usually, a few Jewish people got saved. The majority of, of the Jewish people rejected the gospel then they went to the Gentiles uh, and so forth. And uh, so they, are, are, are make, they made their way back. Look, if you would, to verse 27 of chapter 14. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, that's the church in Antioch. Okay, this is the Gentile church. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto whom? Unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. So, so they're back on furlough. That's what we would call it today. We don't know how long they were there. there. The Bible doesn't give us any indication of that. It just says they were a long time in that church. That brings us up to speed where, where we're at. In chapter 15, we're going to see the first controversy of the New Testament church. Verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. In your Bible, if you will uh, just kind of follow through and, and notice as you're reading and studying and so forth, uh, you'll, you'll read phrases, uh, they went down from Jerusalem. Here it says they came down from Judea. Uh, if you have a map, uh, Antioch is not south. When I think going down, we say go down south, okay? I'll go down to North Carolina now and then to visit uh, Sarah and her family. Uh, that's what we think of, but Antioch's to the north, yet they still said they came down from Judea, okay? Jerusalem sat on a hill. Jerusalem's where the temple was. In the Jewish mindset, anytime you left Jerusalem, you're just automatically going down. Jerusalem is the pinnacle of their faith. It's the center of things. It's not about geographical location of north and south. It's just all in relationship. If you're in Jerusalem, you're at the high point. Anything else, you've gone down from there. So these men came from Judea, and they, they just came into the church, and they began to teach and what they're teaching to these Gentiles is, 
except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses. A Jewish, a, a part of the Jewish law, you cannot be saved. In my Bible, I have written uh, there right beside that verse, this is the real definition of legalism. How many have heard that term, legalism? Uh, today in our world, a legalist is anybody who declares uh, that as believers, we are bound to obey some, some uh, commandments from the scriptures. That men ought to look like men and ladies ought to look like ladies. You know that kind of thing. And they'll, they'll immediately start screaming, you're a legalist. Uh, a legalist is not someone who says there are certain commandments in the Bible we're to obey. Um, because if, if they're saying that, uh, oh, we're under grace, we're not under law. Question, if that's true and I'm no longer under law, does that mean I can go kill somebody? Oh, please say yes. No. And by the way, these people that are pointing the finger at anybody that has standards higher than them, calling them a legalist, they say, no, 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 you're not allowed to kill people, but I thought we're under grace. Um, does, uh, you know, we could, does that mean I can go kidnap people and hold them for ransom? I mean, I'm, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. You know, kidnapping, the Old Testament specifically talks about that, uh, that type of thing. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing what they're saying is that we get to pick and choose what parts of the Bible we want to obey. Um, and, and that's just fraudulent, uh, non-biblical, terribly unscriptural lack of scholarship. Legalism is when you add works to God's plan of salvation. Salvation is grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, period, nothing else. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's not based on my, my joining a church, getting baptized, turning over a new leaf. It is, it is faith in Christ alone, period. These people came down from Judea teaching the, the Gentiles in this church that in, in, in essence, unless you become Jews, practicing Jews... And, and here the big issue was circumcision after the manner of Moses. You cannot be saved. They are teaching a legalistic salvation uh, and so forth, and they came in. You say, well, who were these people? Um, we get a little better idea of them, verse 5. We'll, we'll catch up on the verses in between in a moment. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed saying that it was needful to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. The Pharisees was one of two religious groups uh, in the Jewish culture. The other was the Sadducees. Remember, they didn't believe in angels, a resurrection, uh, or anything like that. The Pharisees did believe in, in both of those things and so forth. Um, and they held great sway uh, in the Jewish culture, the Sanhedrin uh, depending on, you know, the number of people on each side was either run by Pharisees or run by Sadducees, and that balance of power shifted just like it does in Congress uh, in Washington, D.C., between Republican and Democrat and so forth. Well, these are not just Pharisees. They're Pharisees which believed. Though the Pharisees in the time of Christ hated him for the most part, there were other Pharisees who got saved. Can anybody name a Pharisee? In the time of Christ, who got saved? Linda? Nicodemus uh, was, a, was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. He got saved. 
Uh, you understand that uh, Saul of Tarsus was not just a Pharisee. He eventually in his testimony said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he got saved. So these are Pharisees who've gotten saved, and they are now uh, trying to dictate that, look, it's all right for the Gentiles to believe, but in their mind, they are still seeing that any Gentiles who believe are becoming Jews. Because for centuries, that's what it was. Uh, Gentiles could become believers. They called them proselytes, but they were, they were adopting the Jewish faith. And so in their mind, they're saying that's the way it has to be. So they've come down, uh, or they've actually gone up to Antioch. They're teaching this, verse 2, chapter 15. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. There is a dispute that is taking place now. Uh, Paul and Barnabas have been out preaching the gospel uh, in places nobody has taken it before. They have seen Gentiles getting saved. Uh, Barnabas, remember in Acts 11, when he came to Antioch um, and he met these people for the first time, the Bible says, when he had seen the grace of God was glad. Um, these people were, were saved. Uh, their, their lives were transformed, and they had not become Jews for that to happen, okay? Um, so Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're seeing, man, this is, this is wrong, and so uh, they're standing up for truth. Uh, the Bible says the church, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them, we're not sure who these people are, uh, it may be some of the ones, if you remember back in Acts 13.1, there were teachers there, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, uh, and Saul. It might have been some of those, we're, we're not sure. They sent a group, should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. Even after persecution, the other apostles were still in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, these were the ones that were hand-picked, hand-trained by the Savior, and so they said, we need to go back and we need to talk to them. We need to get this issue completely settled. Verse 3, being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles to cause great joy unto all the brethren. So they're, they're just sort of backtracking to Jerusalem, these other churches that have been started, uh, and they're telling men the gospel spreading far and near. It's not just Jewish people getting saved. I mean, it's, it's people being saved out of the depths of all kinds of paganism uh, that are trusting Christ as Savior. Their lives are being uh, uh, transformed. Uh, there are churches now all over this region of Asia Minor that weren't there before, and the brethren are rejoicing about it. Uh, they're probably not aware of this new controversy, trying to say Gentiles have to turn into Jews or they cannot be saved. Verse 4. When they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. Remember, it was not the church at Jerusalem that sent out the first missionaries. It was the church in Antioch. Even though the church at Jerusalem was commissioned in Acts 1-8 to uh, proclaim the gospel, witnesses of Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, under the uttermost part of the earth, they confined their ministry for the first seven chapters of the book of Acts to Jerusalem only. 
It was only through persecution that they were forced to leave, and as they went, they took the message of the gospel with them, and they went everywhere preaching the word. So the idea of missionaries going out and taking the gospel, uh, this is something that uh, they're, they're hearing about in, in many ways for the first time. We read verse 5. Uh, so they're, they're declaring all of these things, and now this group of Pharisees, born again, Bible says they believed, are, are standing up, and uh, they're, they're just saying, that's fine that they're believing in, the, in Jesus. That's fine that they understand uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But it's not enough. They have got to become Jews from that point on and adopt all of that. Um, so, so you've got this uh, dispute that began in Antioch that's been brought to Jerusalem. And now the debate within the leadership of the church begins in verse 6. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, we're not sure, you know, how long it went on, whether it was minutes or hours or days, uh, one side talking, another side talking, maybe both sides talking at the same time. Peter rose up and said unto them, Peter's held in high esteem. Uh, he was the emissary to uh, Samaria. He was the emissary to Joppa uh, and so forth. And uh, so, so he's held in high esteem. So he speaks, men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. God had made it clear. In Acts chapter 10 is the story of how God sent him to uh, to Joppa to meet with Cornelius and all that happened. Then he went back, and, and the story and the details are given uh, almost entirely a second time in Acts chapter 10 as Peter went back and rehearsed the entire situation for the church at Jerusalem to understand the Gentiles. Not only did they get saved, but the Holy Ghost fell on them just like he fell on us, okay? So he is reminding them uh, of that, and God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving unto the, uh, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us. So the Gentiles in Samaria and in Joppa, God gave them the same Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe we know in in Joppa they spoke in tongues. We believe probably they did in Samaria, um, just like us, and put no difference between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. Now, Peter's making a point here. So the Holy Spirit fell on them, confirming that they truly had been saved, that the gospel was for them, but they were still Gentiles. They didn't turn into Jews at that moment. They hadn't done anything that would even make them resemble a, a Jewish person other than the fact they had trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Verse 10, Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear he said look we're, you, you want to put a, a, a put a burden on them that they have to obey uh, all of the ceremonial laws and all of that kind of stuff and the truth of the matter is uh, we couldn't do it uh, the law was given to show that we're sinners not to show that we were righteous um, and, and he said, now you want to put this on the Gentiles? We couldn't even keep it. That's why we needed a Savior. 
Do you understand how foolish you sound, you know, in all of this? Verse 11, but if we, uh, sorry, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Peter summed it up very clearly that uh, they didn't get saved because they got circumcised or, you know, took sacrifices to the temple or any of those other things that are a part of the Jewish culture at that time. Uh, he said they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and God, if you will, put his stamp of approval on it by indwelling them with the Holy Spirit and giving that confirmation of the sign gift. We okay? So Peter's testified, verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent. It seems like the argument stopped. The shouting stopped. And, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're now finally listening to a voice uh, of spiritual reason. The Bible says they gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. There had been people healed. Uh, Paul had been stoned, left for dead, and he was either brought back to health or brought back to life, either way, um, and just, just re rehearsed all the amazing things that, that God had done to the Gentiles. And in none of those circumstances did those Gentiles adopt the Jewish culture. Okay? Verse 13, And after they had held their peace, Paul and Barnabas, James answered, this is not the Apostle James, uh, the brother of John. How do we know that? Somebody over here said it. Yes, he died in Acts chapter 12. He was uh, put to death with the sword uh, by King Herod. Okay? This is James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the, the same one who is the author of the book of James. We will see James throughout uh, the, the rest of the book of Acts, his name's going to come out. Um, he, he became, according to church history, he became, the, if you will, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He became exceptionally well-respected to the point that, that his word was pretty much considered the final word on matters of faith and doctrine. Um, history tells us that uh, James, this particular James, was such a man of prayer, uh, he spent so much time on his knees. That was his favorite position to pray, was always on his knees, that his kneecaps uh, were, were, if you will, like swollen and callous to the point they called him uh, camel's knees. If you've ever seen a camel, they have those, those big giant kneecaps, and, and that's what James' knees resembled because of the amount of time he spent in prayer. He was very respected, and, and rightly so. So every side's had their chance to talk. Peter has spoken and reminded them of what God did to convince the Jewish people that the gospel was not just for them, but for the Samaritans and for the Gentiles as well. So James answered saying, men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, that's Peter, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. So Peter's testified how God did that. And to this agree, the words of the prophets, as it is written. Now, beginning in verse 16, Peter, uh, uh, James is going to start quoting from Amos chapter 9. 
if you write cross-reference things in your Bible, he's going to quote Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. So he's going to say, we have more than the word of Peter to go by here. We want you to understand that Peter's words agree with Scripture. And by the way, the Scripture is always the final authority. It's not about opinion. It's what does the Scripture say? Verse 16, now he's quoting Amos in the Old Testament. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Now, that's an amazing statement that he, he made there in the book of Amos, the Gentiles upon whom my name is called. Um, what were the disciples at Antioch called? Christians. Is not that the title of the Lord Jesus Christ? Um, the Gentiles were the first ones that were named after the name of Christ. Uh, isn't it amazing how the Bible all ties together? It seems like a lot of loose threads, but they all come together and form this amazing spiritual tapestry. So, so James is saying, you understand our prophets, our Old Testament scriptures, um, and at that time there was no, no New Testament written uh, for them to consult. He said, you understand what Peter just told you? It lines up with what the, the scriptures tell us. Verse 18, known unto God are all his works, from the beginning of the world. God knew from, from the beginning of the world the Gentiles were going to get saved. He knew that in Antioch they were going to be called Christians, uh, the whole nine yards. Wherefore, verse 19, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Uh, when he says trouble them, he says we're not going to lay a burden on them that is not meant for them. Um, as, as Peter said, we weren't even able to bear that yoke successfully, and now we're telling they have to do it or they can't be saved. Makes no sense. Verse 20, though, he says, but that we write unto them, that's unto the Gentiles. There are some things they need to keep in mind. Number one, that they abstain from pollutions of idols. They were a Gentile. That means they were involved in idolatry of some form because that's, that's all the Gentile religions were. Many of them still are even today. Um, they worshipped uh, the, 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 the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets. They worshipped uh, weather. Uh, they worshipped volcanoes. You know, they, you name it. They worshipped. They had all the, the Greek mythology, the Roman mythology, their own local gods, goddesses, and so forth. They had their temples built uh, to all of their, their deities here and there, that type of, uh, of thing. Um, and most of them involve some type of sacrifices. The Jews weren't the only ones that sacrificed animals. Uh, the Gentiles uh, did that as well uh, and so forth. Sadly, some of them even went so far as human sacrifice. Uh, in the Gentile religions, unlike the Jewish religion, the blood was a, a very big part of it. In the Jewish faith, the blood, especially like for the Day of Atonement, the animal was killed. Uh, the blood was gathered in a basin, and the high priest would take that into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant uh, and so forth. 
with the Gentiles, oftentimes that blood, uh, they would smear it over their bodies, over the body of the person who had brought the sacrifice. Uh, oftentimes the blood was consumed. It was mixed with wine. It was mixed with other things that would make a very potent uh, hallucinogenic type thing. And the blood was consumed, which was forbidden uh, by God's law because the life of the flesh is in the blood. So the first thing he said to the Gentiles, he said, look, we're not going to ask you to become Jews. We, that, that's not part of the gospel. You didn't get saved that way. The Lord's already proven uh, that, that you were his by giving you the Holy Spirit. But now that you are saved, uh, abstain from pollutions of idols. And this was probably for the average Gentile uh, a no-brainer for them because uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians 1. 1 Thessalonians 1. This would have been a Gentile church. There were some Jewish people saved in Thessalonica, but it was largely uh, a Gentile church. Look, if you would, please, to uh, verse number 5. Paul writes to them, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. This church was persecuted so badly in the first month of their existence that uh, the brethren, the, these new converts, uh, made Paul uh, and, and Silas leave the city for their own safety. Uh, so it was a harsh environment from there, uh, for them from the get-go. Verse 7, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia, the northern part of Greece, and Achaia, the southern part. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything, even without Facebook. Everywhere in the ancient world, they knew about this church in Thessalonica. Their faith uh, had a testimony that just spread everywhere. And here it is, verse 9, for they themselves, these are the people that have heard your testimony, show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Uh, salvation is not adding Jesus to our false religion. Um, in, in countries like India, much, much of the... Uh, uh, Southeast Asia, where Hinduism uh, has a big influence. The, the Hindus have, uh, I think, like over three million gods that they worship. I have no idea how they keep track of that uh, and so forth. Um, if, if, if you're not careful, you can explain the gospel uh, to a, a person from a Hindu background. You can explain to them, Jesus is God who became flesh and dwelt among us, and uh, they will accept Jesus. But if you're not careful and you don't explain it right, they will accept him because what's one more God when you have three million of them? They will just add him to their pantheon of gods. The rub comes in when you tell them your other three million, they're false. At the very best, they're the figment of man's imagination. At the very worst, they're devils. And you have to denounce them. You have to turn your back on them, turn from them to the living God, and that's where the rub is going to come in. How many understand that? Okay, so 
Paul's testimony, writing back to the Thessala, uh, Thessalonians, was, was the fact that when they got saved, they turned from their idols to the living God. That was, that was understood in the proclaiming of the gospel message. So back in Acts chapter 15, verse 20, as James is saying, look, we're not going to put this burden on them, telling them now you've got to be circumcised and you've got to become a good Jewish people. Uh, but at the same time, uh, abstain from pollutions of idols. Uh, it, it doesn't mix with the truth of the gospel. From fornication, a lot of their pagan religion uh, in, included uh, temple prostitution of the vilest kinds. And we don't need to go into any of that here. I think uh, we're, we're adults, we understand that. Uh, abstain from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. Uh, again, we, we mentioned that in the pagan cultures, the blood was an important part of it. It was consumed. Uh, it was smeared and poured over their bodies and so forth. Um, and uh, according to God's laws, that was, that was never to be. So he's writing to the, to the Gentiles saying, let's, let's let, just let them know you do not have to become Jews, but you are, you are believers now. So you need to be different than you were when you were a pagan Gentile. Okay? Verse 21, for Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him. Being read in the synagogues every Sabbath, they said, anywhere you want to pretty much go in the Roman world, you'll find a synagogue uh, there. And, uh, you know, people proclaiming Moses. And, and I, I think it's interesting he said that preach him. In the synagogues, they weren't preaching Christ. They were preaching Moses. They were holding up Moses. And the, the church isn't holding up Moses, though we respect him. We learn from him. He's in the Bible. Uh, we're preaching Christ. So this is the, the, the decree of James, uh, to which it appears uh, that this council that was held in Jerusalem uh, readily agreed to that. There is a, there, there is a, a decision being made. It's not going to end the controversy. Paul's going to battle this for the rest of his ministry. Uh, and, and you'll see that as you, you read through the book of Acts. We'll, we'll see this rearing its ugly head again. But in essence, what James is saying to the, we'll call them the Judaizers, this sect of the Pharisees who are trying to demand that, that Gentiles uh, become Jews or they cannot be saved, he's telling them to back off. Salvation is by faith in Christ. Again, verse 11 but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So you Judaizers, back off. What you're teaching is false. What you're teaching does not line up with the scriptures. And of course, that's what we call the Old Testament today. But he's at the same time saying to the Gentiles, um, you need to behave charitably. You're, we're not... Uh, God's not expecting you to become a, a Jewish person, but you're not supposed to be a pagan anymore either. There, ought to, there, there needs to be a difference and, and so forth. And so he, he writes this to them. Verse 22, then pleased, uh, then pleased at the apostles and elders with the whole church. That's a pretty good statement. The church finally settled in a place of unity um, on their doctrine. Uh, can I just tell you this? It wasn't because of a democratic vote. It's because they trusted the leadership of the man who was, uh, was their pastor as well as the leadership of the apostles. Uh, it, it then pleased it, the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men 
of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. They wanted to assure the people at Antioch that Paul and Barnabas weren't just coming back saying, oh yeah, yeah, we, we met with them, and, and here's what they said. Uh, it was very important that they had eyewitness uh, confirmation of things, uh, verifying everything. Um, again, there's no New Testament written. We can turn to the pages of Scripture uh, to, to uh, show this is why we believe what we believe. Uh, but the church is a new thing uh, and so forth. So they sent other people with Paul and Barnabas, men who were highly respected, verse 23. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. That's all the places Paul and Barnabas have gone to take the gospel uh, uh, centering from Antioch. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. These people did their own thing. Probably sincerely, but sincerely misguided. They went up there thinking, we need to straighten these Gentiles out and they need to know, hey, you're becoming Jews now. Um, and, and the apostles are saying, we didn't send them. They acted on their own accord. Um, but since it all happened, verse 25, it seemed good unto us being assembled with what? One accord. That's a good thing. To send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. I think that's great. Paul used to hate them. And I don't know if they hated him, but they certainly didn't like him. They certainly didn't trust him. Remember, after, after he got saved and came back to Jerusalem, none of those people wanted to let him in because they thought it was some kind of a, uh, a scam on his part to infiltrate their church, write down names and, you know, get all these people arrested and stuff. And now they're referring to him as somebody that they love, beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. We've sent some of our own emissaries with the two from your church that you know so very well. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Can we stop here for a moment? Uh, their decision in this matter was not based on their opinion. It was based on God's opinion. How do they know that they had God's opinion right on this? At least my phone's listening, even if you're not. So uh, that was my watch, actually. So uh, how how did they know that this wasn't the opinion of... Shut up. Uh, that this wasn't the opinion of the council, that this was God's opinion. This was God's decree. The scripture. Remember, that's what James brought out. Peter's testimony was fine. Peter's testimony was true. Okay. But he said, we want you to understand it's not based on that, it's scripture. Keep your place here and turn back with me to the writing of Peter. And I want you in chapter number two. 
I'm sorry, 2 Peter, not, not chapter 2. In verse 12, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, referring to I'm, I'm still in this earthly body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. He knew he was going to die, um, and the, the, the Savior had foretold how that was going to happen. He said, but as long as I'm with you, it's important that I keep you reminded of this. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So Peter is, Peter is just going back in, in, in his own relationship with Christ when, when they traveled together up on the Mount of Transfiguration and reminding these people, uh, we heard God speak from heaven and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. We saw it. We saw his glory. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's sharing his testimony. Is his testimony true? Absolutely. Okay? He's not making any of it up. It's confirmed by the gospels uh, that record that event. Was his testimony in Acts 15 true? Yes or no? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, and so forth. But look, if you would, please, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. We have something that is more sure than my testimony. It's called Scripture. Whereunto you do well that you take heed is unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. You don't get to make the Bible mean what you want it to say. You don't get to pull verses out from here and there uh, and that type of thing. You, you uh, take the whole thing. It, it means what God said. It's not going to say one thing to Brother Tim and the same verse say something else to me when it comes to matters of doctrine. Okay? For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So even at the end of his life, Peter is affirming, don't take our word for it, take the word of God for it. So that is what is going on in Acts chapter 15. If I can get you back there quickly, uh, we'll try to finish this particular section tonight, and then we'll be dismissed. So he said, uh, again, verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that ye abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood, from things strangled, from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. He kept it simple, kept it cut and dry, and ended that controversy for the time being uh, over that particular matter. Verse 30, so when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, 
When they had gathered a multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. These Gentiles had to have been somewhat shaken in their faith because the brethren that came to them came from Jerusalem, the church where the message first went out. Um, in their minds, they're thinking that these men are representing the apostles, the hand-picked leadership of the New Testament church there in that age, and, and so forth. And so here they thought they were saved, and now these people are saying, no, you can't be saved unless you're circumcised after the law of Moses. So they're doubting their salvation. They're doubting the truth of everything that they've heard. False doctrine's a terrible thing. It's a dangerous thing. And so now it's, it's settled, and, and they're, they're coming back to the understanding, look, we are as saved as anybody on this planet. We got saved when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, period. That's it. Uh, those other people that came here were lying to us, and they let the scriptures decide the matter for them, and they're rejoicing. Verse 32, Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. So these other two men, they stayed and they just sort of had a revival meeting. And they, they began to preach and to teach uh, and so forth, maybe telling them what was going on in, in Jerusalem, persecution-wise, people getting saved and so forth, helping ground these people even more so uh, in their faith. And after they had tarried their space, they were let go in peace from the brethren and the apostles, notwithstanding... It pleased Silas to abide there still. Silas liked it in Antioch, and he just felt like he, he ought to stay there for a while. He, he enjoyed that ministry, uh, and so he stayed, and that's going to be a, an important decision for him later on. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So the first major controversy is settled for a time, uh, but again, as we will see, uh, it's, it's not over. That same problem is going to arise over and over again in the, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. The entire book of Galatians is written about that one issue of the uh, certain groups saying that Gentiles cannot be saved unless they become Jewish people. The churches of Galatia, that's the place where Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey. That's the region. All those churches were going to be corrupted because these people, they're just, when you get involved in false doctrine, it's like a poison that wants to spread and so forth. So we're going to stop there tonight at verse 35. Uh, important event will take place in verse 36, and then we're going to get ready for the next missionary journey. We do